0: Amen. Thank you so much. Maybe see it. Warm welcome. So glad you're here. Be able to gather together to worship our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. For those that are now joining online, welcome as well. And pray that you sense God's presence in the worship experience, whether it be watching right now or you're going to be watching in the days, weeks to come. Love for you now on this Sunday that has been designated historically as Reformation Sunday, and to take your Bibles. We're pausing in our series in the book of the Psalms, aren't we? And we're gonna make our way to the first book of the Bible in the Older Testament to Genesis chapter 15, where we're going to explore just six verses of this monumental chapter together. Genesis chapter 15, verse one through six, where the Reformation, in essence, was built upon, uh, in many ways, what's articulated in these verses. And the Apostle Paul depended upon them when he wrote the book of Romans. So, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6, and this morning, if you come out of Catholicism, if that is your heritage, your background, and maybe you come uh, your background, your heritage has been Lutheranism. Maybe your heritage has been one of the various branches of Reformed uh, theology. You're going to find a convergence point here, an attention point in what's being articulated, not only doctrinally, but also what we explore historically this morning as we invest now in what Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned in verse 1 down through verse 6 where we now find these words, that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now this is God speaking at this point to Abram. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram's turn. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And notice the quote marks end there. Because now the Holy Spirit's going to inspire Moses to offer this perspective in verse 6. And he, speaking of Abram now, he believed the Lord. And he, speaking of Abram, he believed the Lord. And he now, as God works, counts it to him as righteousness, and so we want to see here now the significance of how this relates to modern day 2021 living as we look to our Lord now in prayer. And so Father, whether online as households gather together in front of screens, In one of the services physically present in this building today, we are praying that we will take very seriously and grapple in our inner core. What does it mean when he believed the Lord and in turn the Lord counted it to him as righteousness? Give us a clear understanding of how this relates to salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone warm these hearts engage these minds shape these wills forgive now father we have come here to see jesus and him only i'm praying these things again now in jesus name Amen. Let's take a look at the imagery that appears on the screen. Because there in your, in your left-hand corner was Luther's website. This was his front page. This was his north door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, where he was a professor of theology. On the right-hand side, here you will find him now uh, posting his 95 theses on the door of the castle there in Wittenberg. And you ask the question, well, Gary, how does this relate to 2021 living? Well, you're asking a great question this morning. Because what we want to do is to grapple with what he himself had to grapple with because he had written, after having studied the book of Romans, on this thought with regard to his own personal testimony, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. And then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith, not by our works. Therefore, I, I felt myself to be reborn, born again, to have gone through open doors into paradise Now you can imagine how moved Luther was in 1517 to want to somehow express the essence of what salvation was all about in his 95 Theses because what was happening simultaneously as he was penning these thoughts on that door is that a representative from the Pope, a monk by the name of John Tetzel was selling what are known as indulgences to raise money to finance the building of St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. And say, so what? Well, here's the gist. Indulgences were letters of pardon that were supposedly to guarantee the forgiveness of one's sins. And here's the challenge. Let's say you've got a poor man on his hands. That poor man says, I only had so much to offer. What assurance do I have then that my sins are forgiven? And a rich man might say, well, I held back a little bit for my estate. Maybe I should have given more. Maybe not everything's covered. So how will I be acceptable in in God's sight in light of all this? Or to put it in modern-day terminology, how good does one have to be to be good enough in God's eyes? The answer is perfection. We have to be completely, totally perfect. And the reality is only one was, whom we know as Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to be able to say is that with regard to those who are trying to finance their way into heaven, Paul would write regarding Jesus Christ, "It was paid in full. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, you can neither add to nor subtract from. In essence, this is what Luther was articulating when he was posting his 95 theses. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and so forth on that door. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because what we need to do now is to be able to examine these six verses, that has such a profound effect upon the Apostle Paul that he would write the book of Romans based so much upon these six verses. And Luther and Calvin and Zwingli in turn would glean insights from what Paul wrote and then try to address this in that 16th century setting they were in. But let's now personalize it, okay? Let's build a bridge and connect it to 2021 living. And what I want to do is to simply draw out three observations this morning that I think will have extraordinary relevance to the whole matter of salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ as we're thinking together. And the first comes out of verse 1 through 3. We're into the text now that as you and I, as we consider the relationship between faith and righteousness, in other words, how good is good and when is good good enough, I want to begin here this morning by noting with you the assurance given by God in verse one he begins with this phrase after these things which means that you and I have to read about Genesis 14 before we get to Genesis 15 and Genesis 14 Abram had been involved in a major battle warfare with a limited number of troops he was victorious and as a result of his conquest, now there might be the threat that there were going to be retaliation by those that were, that were defeated by Abram. This would be percolating in Abram's mind. This morning, what's percolating in your mind? What do you feel threatened by? Well, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. God breaks in. And the astounding thing at this point is that it has been 25 years since last, we are told, God spoke to Abram. I dare say I'm entering into November. 25 years kind of bears upon my mind at this point in time for personal reasons. But here you have it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. But I want you to see here it is the word of the Lord. Not what other people were saying, not the religious traditions of that era, uh, but rather it was the word of the Lord that came to Abram and came to Abram in a, a vision. Now, as I was examining the visions throughout the scriptures, what strikes me is that there are particular points of time, junctures, where God is breaking in and it will be rather abrupt oftentimes a period of silence preceding. And the vision would be a distinct mode of communication, whereby God is offering what we might describe as new knowledge. Now, 25 years of silence. It's as if there is this deafening silence from the heavens God has given Abram a promise, but now God has remained silent. And maybe over the course of many years, you have experienced or are currently experiencing what we might describe metaphorically as the silence of the heavens. God, speak. God, break in. God, bring some clarity to the confusion that our extended family has has now been faced with. There's an abruptness here. And what I want you to notice is not one, not two, but three significant statements are found in verse 1 that go to the very essence of what Abram is all about. And the first statement is, fear not. And maybe that's just what you need to hear this morning. That there is this point of vulnerability within your own life experience and the silence of Heavens might seem to be rather deafening in your own personal time. What I want you to notice is that when you go through the pages of Scripture, so often the fear-knots of the Bible are directly tied to dramatic moments of change in a nation or in the life of an individual. Take for example, the transition from Moses to Joshua. Why Moses had been the leader of Israel for who knows how long. Generation? That's the only leader they had ever had. He had shepherded them, He'd pastored them through the years. But now abruptly, God takes God takes Moses home. There's a new leader, a new sheriff in town. And God then speaks to Joshua and says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. And then someone will be reading about in a couple of months. There's Mary. It seems like all is normal, all is quiet. And then God interrupts. God ever interrupted your life? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why, the angels, they then found out some shepherds out in the fields. They were just minding their business, doing what they do, watching flocks at night. When then in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for I behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And now you and I are being introduced to the fact that when God breaks in suddenly, dramatically, abruptly, and changes in the forecast at this point, he begins by going after the emotional core, and he starts with the fear nots. The few knots of life, my mind goes back sometimes to the story we know somewhat about from World War II. Military governor has just met with General Patton in Sicily. He's praising Patton for his courage. Astoundingly, General Patton says, Sir, I am not a brave man. Truth is, I am an utter craven coward. Never been within the sound of gunshot or in sight of battle my whole life. Or I wasn't scared to death that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. And then later on, now reading from Patton's autobiography, I've got a lot of biographies at home, Contained this significant statement by the general, quote, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. I learned early in life never to take counsel of my fears. From whom and from where do you take counsel? What you will find in Abram's experience is the tension between fear and faith, which is the dominant factor in your own personal life. God at this point knows that transition is at hand. Change is about to occur. And so wisely, graciously, effectively, God goes to the core. The emotional core of this one about to experience major change in his life experience and starts with the fear not, Abram. He says, Abram, he knows his name. God knows your name, fear not. But then a second statement, I am your shield. This is not coincidental. Abram may still be holding his shield from the battle just described in Genesis chapter 14 where with limited forces he fought off and conquered a major force, major armies. And now in the solitude, one-on-one with God, God is speaking to him. And not only does God say, fear not, he begins with the emotional core of where Abram is at. He then says, I am your shield. Now, when God says, I am your shield, he is using a very unique word for the word shield. Shield. Because this particular word in ancient military history carried with it the idea of covering all the vulnerable places on one's body. In other words, what he's saying, God is saying, is I'm protecting your vulnerables, I'm protecting where you're most vulnerable. Let me be your shield. Some of us need to know that this morning. Some of us might be feeling extraordinarily vulnerable at this point in time for various reasons, financially, medically, otherwise, maybe a new sense of aloneness that we have never experienced before. I'm your shield. I got your vulnerabilities covered. But then he adds something more still your reward shall be very great. His third statement out of verse 1. What you need to bear in mind at this point is that Abram had had all the opportunity in the world from the hands of a man by the name of Melchizedek to be rewarded for what he had just achieved and Abram had renounced that reward. God picks up on it. And it's as if God is now saying at this point, I've got a better reward for you than what you were about to receive. And if you were to read more from Genesis chapter 15, what you will find is that God will cut a covenant with Abram to reestablish in Abram's mind the promise with regard to an heir and furthermore the boundaries with regard to Abram's descendants, which is still now the issue in 2021 for what takes place in the land of Israel today. Check out and the boundaries found there in 17 down through verse 21. This is so relevant. So now you have just drawn off three significant statements that have tremendous bearing on 2021. Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And now, and now, Abram's going to have to figure out, how do I traffic? How do I move forward with such perspective as this? I remember reading the story about John Tyler who was stunned when he was told that William Henry Harrison had died in office after only a month as president of the United States. The vice president, Tyler, is now president a month in. Hadn't even received his first salary payment as vice president. He was fundless. He was president but didn't have enough money to pay for his trip from Williamsburg to Washington to attend his own inauguration. Friends had to float him alone. What seems to be a great privilege at the same time seems to be a serious problem. Abram has been given a promise. seems like a great privilege. But now it seems as though he's got a serious problem. He doesn't have the promised child that God had promised 25 years previous. What to do? So Abram's got a solution. Abram, but notice it is but Abram. It's as if now Abram is trying to counter God. You ever try to counter God? Our arms are too short to box with God. And so here now is Abram stepping into the ring and says, But we're told, but Abram said, O Lord God. Now notice it's lowercase L O R D because he's saying, O sovereign God. He knows he's sovereign, but it's not uppercase L O R D, Yahweh God, covenantal relational God at this point. There's a real challenge at this point as to where he's at relationally with God. But Abram said, O Lord God, question mark coming our way, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. What will you give me? Now, Abram is still recalling the promise that was given him 25 years earlier by God. What we've got to bear in mind is that a delay is not a denial. Now, God has never delayed in his mind, but it certainly tends to be in our minds. Where we may be saying in 2021, but I thought I would be in this location. I thought I would be doing this for a living. And I thought I would be having this kind of impact upon people. And you've got this plan all figured out, you see, and you simply want God to bless it. And so he has, Abram has what I'm going to call this morning, the Eliezer plan. And the Eliezer plan in Abram's mind is simply this. God has not delivered on his promise for an heir. Therefore, I have adopted the manager of my household, the steward of my household, Eliezer from Damascus, as my heir. In other words, he has an alternative plan for God and wants God to bless it. You ever do that to God and then wonder why God's not blessing? Now, what I want you to see here is people are continuously floating alternative plans for God to bless and God is sovereign, God has got a singular plan. Abram said, O oh, lowercase God, what will you give me? For I am continued childless, and the heir of my household house is Eliezer of Damascus. Question mark. Now, does he give God opportunity to answer? No, because this is a one-way conversation. In his estimation, he's got more for God I have to listen to. Does God ever have that challenge with us? Right when we pose a question, here comes another question. We haven't given God time because Abram's saying, you have produced 25 years of delay, and now what I'm going to do is try to close the gap. And so here comes the second question, and you are now up to verse 3. And Abram said, behold, as if God can't see. Abram. You need a pastor. <laughs> Behold, you have given me no offspring. That's his complaint at this point, you see. It's a singular obsession. But here's the fascinating word. It's the word offspring. Seed. You know, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made this promise. Regarding the evil one, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, Eve's offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. In other words, there are competing plans of the offspring pertaining to how God is going to bring the ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ, into this world. Now, Abram's got the Eliezer plan for God to bless, and God's gonna say no. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and again verse 7, but I'll just simply read to you verse 7 for the sake of time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, connect that now to what you just read in Genesis chapter 3 of verse 15. I'll give you this land. And what's fascinating is that when David is receiving the promise from God regarding his offspring that will inherit the kingdom, this is why Jesus was known as the son of David. In that great chapter of 2 Samuel 7, this one is referred to as the offspring. God's got a plan. Abram's got a plan. Which plan is going to be blessed by God? The Eliezer plan or God's plan? Behold, Abram says, you have given me no offspring. You've now connected the offspring thread. And a member of my household will be my heir. In other words, it seems as though at this point, it seems as though Abram, lacking faith, has come up with an alternative plan for God to use. Don't look up and look for alternative plans for God to use. And then wonder where's the blessing? And why is there silence from the heavens? A young Chinese student's traveling from China to America. He's studying at one of the universities. Fellow passenger notices him reading his Bible on the deck of the ship, involved engaged the Chinese in conversation, and this man began to speak, um, he began to knock Christianity, knock the Bible, wanting to create doubt in this young Chinese believer's mind, but then added, quote, I would, I would not like to disturb your faith in Jesus Christ, however, unquote. John Holden, who tells the story informs us that the Chinese believer replied, Sir, if you could disturb my faith in Christ, he would not be a big enough savior for me. And so now, verses 1, 2, and 3, they deal with the assurance given by God, but what we can't do is simply say, Behold, God! God! or, but, God, and offer our Eliezer plan. Because we need somebody to knock some nails into a Wittenberg door and tell us what the true plan is all about, you see. But now, now there's a second observation. You're tracking. You're after verses 4 and 5. We've noticed not only the assurance given by God, three forms of that in verses 1 through 3, but second of all, the promise made by God, found in verse 4 and 5. So now God is not going to be outdone on the beholds. Abram said behold to God, so you've got to smile at this point because God's got a way. And so you and I are told here at this point, and behold, the word of the Lord. In other words, God's been listening to Abram's word, and so now Abram's going to have to listen to God's word. This is why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, over these years. It's because we're interested in not human opinion, we're interested in God's word. What does God have to say? we've got our eliezer plans and behold the word of the lord came to him and now notice in this next verse verse 4 god balances a negative with a positive the negative what is it this man speaking of eliezer this man shall not be your heir now before before abram can say but God keeps talking at this point. Your very own son shall be your heir. And Abram's saying, 25 years have gone by. I'm an elderly man. My wife is an elderly woman. We're beyond childbearing years. What I want to be able to say is this. God intentionally delayed from the time he first spoke to Abram to get to this point so that Abram and Sarah were supposedly biologically incapable of producing a child. So that they would not be able to take credit for bringing this child into this world. Only God. Only God. In other words he has extended this time period so in unmistakable terms it is God and God alone who's fulfilling his promise. And he does not need our help. The word of the Lord came to him. Negative. This man shall not be your heir. Positive. Your very own son. Shall be your heir. And now. And now. It's as if. He needed to hear what we just covered. Last week where the heavens declare the glory of God. Glory means heavy. We don't take God lightly, including his promises. So what we now find is that in verse 5, there's an astronomy lesson here for Abram. And so God now escorts Abram out where there is a clear sky, and typically in the Middle East, If you look up to the skies at night, there tends to be a lack of clouds. It's an extraordinary thing to be able to look at the canvas of the heavens and see the stars. It's an amazing thing. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. God's giving directions at this point. Uh, This is an astrophysicist in the heavens and guiding and directing now Abram to look up. And Abram... Number the stars. Start counting. Pull out your calculator. How you doing? And I can imagine now that Abram at this point is looking into the skies and taking into account the vastness of all the stars. And then I want you to notice it because this is so extraordinarily poignant at this point, the wording. so shall your offspring be. The very same word which was utilized in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God took on Satan said, You got offspring? I got offspring. My offspring's going to lead to Jesus Christ, and he's going to cross your head. And then in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and then in verse 7, and now this carries on through the line of Abraham, And now we find a reaffirmation. In other words, this is what I will now call the reassurance of assurance. And sometimes, having given assurance by God's word, we in our frail states need some reassurance of our assurance that comes from God's word. And so God gives Abram the astronomy lesson of a lifetime and said to him, So shall your offspring be. And now he's looking back at the promise of God and realized that God's plan is tied to God's promise was that God is now going to do something supernatural rather than just simply natural. Through my means and Sarah's means, it's going to be God and God alone, just as it was between God and Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. For as William Carey put it, the future is as bright as the promises of God and I think these three men would probably agree. Because as you look at the screen now, what you're going to find are three in- individuals that were what I'll call the triumvirate of, of Reformation Sunday, of what took place at the time period in which in which the Reformation began to occur in the 16th century. Why, there to your left is Ulrich Zwingli. He ministered as a pastor, you see, in Zurich, Switzerland. In the middle, there's Martin Luther. To the right, there's John Calvin. And what they shared in common was that they were textual men who emphasized saving grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Oh, they had their varying points. But at the same time, that was one common thread they all were able to agree upon they had not only looked into the heavens, they had looked into the scriptures. And what they found so stirred their hearts. The result was an entire Roman Empire would be shaken by the truth of God's word, you see. And this nation and this world needs to be shaken by the truth of God's word. Now. We've seen the assurance given by God in one through three. We've explored the promise made by God found in verse four and again in verse five. But not to be outdone. Notice the righteousness declared by God as you wrap it up in verse six. I can almost see now Moses, He's, he's, he's writing down all these thoughts. God has inspired his penmanship, you know. He's in front of his computer. He's getting to this point when all of a sudden he's staring at the screen. He now, guided by the Holy Spirit, begins to type out and he believed the Lord. You see? He believed the Lord and he, speaking of the Lord now, counted it to him as righteousness. And now, Notice with me in verse 6 the word and. It is drawn out by the writer at this point because he's connecting to what just has been stated. So shall your offspring be. How then will Abram become what you and I might call in 2021 a Christian? Answer He puts his trust in this promised one, the offspring. Because the offspring, generation by generation, leads to the ultimate offspring. Jesus Christ. Note the connecting point. It's the word and. As a result of this promise, so shall your offspring be and, at this point now, he believed. This is faith. This is Trust, this is putting what he truly believes, he is personalizing it in this promised one, the offspring still to come. This is based upon the declaration given by God. brings to mind a story sent in by the Reader's Digest where a teacher in one of our local elementary schools was showing a copy of the Declaration of Independence to her class, and it passed from desk to desk until it finally came to Luigi. Now, there's always a Luigi. He was a first-generation American, you know. And Luigi studied the document, overwhelmed by it, and then, before passing it on, added his own signature. See where we're going with that? Abram's now adding his own signature. I'm in. I believe. Count me in. And God in sense saying, okay. Regarding that word count, he counted it to him. That's a financial term. There's financial connotations here. It's a business term. It carries with the idea of paid up or paid in full, which happened at the cross of Jesus Christ, you see. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. This does not mean, first of all, that when God looked on Abram that he saw righteousness. Furthermore, this does not mean that God made him righteous. Rather, this is a legal term where as a result of Abram putting faith in the offspring to come, we know is Jesus, legally god declared him righteous it stands up you see in a court of law and this is what was weighing upon upon luther in 1517 because if you go to the next screen slide what you will find is that simultaneous to Luther putting up on his website, if you will, the 95 Theses, here is this fellow named John Tetzel selling indulgences to raise money to finance the building of St. Cathedrals in Rome. And what were indulgences? They were letters of pardon which guaranteed, the Pope guaranteed it. Forgiveness of sins. But then one person might say, but did I pay enough? And another person said, maybe I held back, maybe I should have paid a little more. And then God breaks in from the heavens through Jesus Christ and says, paid in full. It is not on the basis of your works nor my works, but on Christ's work, the promised offspring In Christ alone, which takes you back now to the door, and there's Wittenberg, and there's Luther, and Luther is now standing at the door of Wittenberg, and he's posting his 95 theses. In essence, he's saying, this is what salvation is all about, putting faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, have you done that? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If there's one here today that is not sure, I'm going to pray for you right now, and afterwards we'll stand for a closing word But for that one or more than one may be present in one of the services or watching online. Pray with me, Father, in your heart, pray now. I realize I'm a sinner acknowledge it. I realize no matter how hard I try to be good, it's not good enough. So I'm putting my faith and trust now in the one who was good, perfect, Jesus Christ. He paid it in full. I trust Him as my Savior. Now, I want to say to you at this point that if you've done that, and there's this declaration of independence from heaven saying, you are declared righteous through the instrument of your faith in the finished work of Christ. It's paid in full. Let's stand together. And now, Father, for all those that are involved in worship this morning on this Reformation Sunday, and for the wonderful dedication of the children, we pray that each comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, faith in Jesus. We're asking that in a very powerful way now, you will take these six verses, impress them upon our hearts, and that we might live for you. And you alone and for this we give you all the praise in jesus name amen god bless you